What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Damp Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic, equally thermonuclear AF co-host, Grant Hughes. Before we hop into Hot or Not 2.0, which will probably be another two-podcaster, but Hot or Not 2.0, where we respond to your hot takes and we throw a couple of our own uh, at each other and determine whether they are just a fact, which would be not, or there are levels to the hotness. Spicy as in, oh, this is intriguing, but it might be true, or this is off the rails, and what drugs are you on? We would we would like to consume some. But before we get started, uh, please remember to subscribe to us wherever you're consuming us. If you're checking us out on YouTube, hit that like button. Um, subscribe, more importantly, comment, help the algorithm love us back a little bit. Um, also, subscribe to us wherever you get your audio podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, and cross up both platforms. So YouTube plus a podcast player, download every episode, that helps out a ton. If you've done both those things, please consider recommending us to people. You can shout us out on Twitter. We got one today. I retweeted it. Very kind. Um, tell people about us, word of mouth, that they should check us out. And this seriously unserious NBA community that we are trying to build. And speaking of which, join our Discord because Grant is in there and he has said stuff. He's not just in there lurking. He has said stuff. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. And finally, follow all of our socials. Those are on screen on YouTube or they're in the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well. Very quickly, though, at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok, at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Grant, hot or not? How are you doing? It doesn't really work here, but how are you doing? That's a hot question. Uh, I, you know, I I feel like I am uh, I'm Andrew Nemharding right now, which just means I'm I'm really just out of my head, delirious. It sounds like a yeah. sexual thing too, a little bit. <laughs> no, it sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, we're recording this uh, just a few short hours after Andrew Nemhard uh, turned into like a better version of Tyrese Halliburton and killed the Warriors. So. Uh, it's a very, it's a great way to feel and we should all feel like Andrew Nemhard felt against the Warriors. Um, yeah, I'm so Andrew Nemhard right now. So <laughs> to get into this hot or you not, found it. Congrats, you got it. You got uh, there. Good job. We should look, we have one that's tangentially awaited on him. I think I put it, I don't know why I put it at the, Oh, here it is from, if you, if you don't care about me starting, but that's pretty topical. And I'm sure you watched your team get absolutely slaughtered sure did. by the Tyrese Halliburton list, Indiana Pacers. So uh, from Austin, uh, I'm framing hot or not. Do the Pacers have any shot at having two all rookie players, Matherin and Nemhard? Has this happened in recent history slash ever? I did. This came in last minute. I did look it up. It happened recently. John Morant and Brandon Clark did it. So it's happened. It's happened before. So that part of the question is, is pretty straightforward. Well, first of all, since I copied and pasted this onto my own doc from the one you sent me, that's a real surprise hot or not, but I'm prepared. I'm prepared to go in for this. Um, I think, it's a there's a decent chance Nemhard's gonna have to really work to get Matherin's like a lock, right? I mean, he's other than Bancaro, I think he's there's probably a chance that he's just rookie of the, of the year. Yeah, too, yeah like right. So yeah, he's got a great all rookie shot. Um, I don't know. There's a lot the thing is, so we have a related question later about some of the best rookies this year being guards, shooting guards specifically. Um, there's gonna be a fair amount of competition for for an all rookie spot in the backcourt. Uh, so you know, if he plays the Warriors every night excellent chance but like you said it's pretty rare um so i i'm gonna need to see another couple weeks or a month of this um and the opportunity may not be there you know with the pacers healthier um although if they trade buddy healed i don't know maybe there's a spot there and also duarte before he was injured wasn't really good 
Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. So you should get an opportunity. Um, but I, I need to see a little more before I can get there. There's a lot of good guards uh, in this rookie class. So I'm not, I'm not quite sold on him. That probably is just being bitter over what he did uh, last night. I think this is hot just because like, it's kind of early, but I don't think it's, it's too hot. And yeah. Caitlin Cooper, Vinnie Cornrose had wrote something about Nemhard. Uh, I think it was last week. Um, so he was like, this has not been like a, you know, a steady detonation, but it's been a steady stream of contributions from him. Mm -hmm. And I think when you watch him play, like there's a reason to give him minutes where it's like, even if you don't make moves, like, well, it's your buddy healed. And like, do you need to prioritize ever playing a TJ McConnell over him? Um, I'm going to say, if I had to predict, I'm going to say that he makes one just because I think it helps that with the uh, all rookie teams, like positions just don't even matter. Right. I think um, unless I'm wrong, I go, I, I second guess myself on that every single year. Yeah. Rookies clear. The positions don't matter. So I think that really helps him. And there's like, even if he doesn't make a, an all rookie team, I'm just in, there's like a field that the warriors were trapping him in half court. And he was just like, eh, like, this is fine. How he, wild has, like, is so, that? he has like so many different like ways to maneuver on ball in his arsenal. He was hitting step backs. Looks very comfortable getting through traffic. Um, and I've actually, I watched more than just the Warriors game of him. So I don't know if he makes an all rookie team. Cause like you said, there's a lot of just like talent. Um, yeah. are there 10 rookies better than him right now? I mean, and like, I might be just a prisoner of the moment. I'm just going to say, Oh no, he's clearly been one of the 10 most in impactful, uh, rookies, but like even in AJ Griffin, a Walker Kessler, like Atari East. And like, these are guys that aren't getting a lot of national love at the moment or, but they're still, they've still been really good. And so like, they might be in the conversation, I'm going to say it's not, it's hot, but it's not, it's not too hot. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I didn't, I forgot about the position thing too. Um, I mean, I, th I think we would agree is, that like, really, that's why we keep positions on the regular all NBA, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like Bancaro, Matherin, Ivy, Shaden Sharp, Keegan Murray. Dyson Daniels is going to get love for that. Daniels, Williams, AJ Griffin, probably Kessler, Eason, you said, I mean, Jeremy Sohan, maybe. Duran, Jabari yeah. Smith. We have how is it? That's rough that we have to go that far down the list. To, but actually, he's been shooting it a lot better. I, we shouldn't we shouldn't shit on Jabari Smith. But there's a lot of good rookies this year so far. I mean, a couple will get hurt, a couple will lose time. You know that. So there's a there's a shot. I agree, hot but not like, you know, you need to be committed for thinking this. Um, I'll throw you the. I'll go back to the top here, um, because Devin Booker is your guy. Uh, and the Suns are your favorite team on the planet, and you always pick them to win the title, except when you pick the Nuggets. Um, hot or not, Devin Booker is the best mid-range shooter, mid-range scorer in the league. I'm going to be specific with that wording because I think that's important here. Um, feel like it's a, this is from Usher. If I didn't say that, I feel like it's a tight race between him and KD. An honorable mention to DeRozan. Um, I really appreciate that Usher listens to this podcast. I'm sure he has like a very busy uh schedule so it's it means a lot that Between all the dancing i don't know how he has time so it's this is topical because i just did an article on which players are adding the most value as shooters and i broke it down by zone corners above the break threes and then mid-range like anything outside the paint was what i was looking at uh devin booker does not grade out statistically as the most valuable mid-range score that is kevin durant who by the way is like adding below average value from three both areas but he's just like so far and away, like the best mid-range shooter in the game right now, like 55% on his mid-range jumpers or whatever it is that he wins that category. Um, DeRozan is number two and Devin Booker is number three. And so it's like the three people that you would expect to be in there are there. And if Steph took more of them, I feel like you probably just expect Steph to be in there. 
I will say when I watch him get to his spots and there's like more changes in cadence, I prefer his mid-range arsenal to DeMar DeRozan's. I also will say that Kevin Durant is one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and he just has absurd handles. But what I will also say about Devin Booker is just like, there's just something that, not that I trust it more, but I guess there's more nuance to the way that he's getting to his mid-range jumpers. And so if you were trying to weight difficulty with craft and like not having the same physical tools as being a seven-footer who just rise up and fire over everybody, I, I really don't want to dilute what Kevin Durant does. He is, the answer is Kevin Durant is yeah. the best mid-range scorer in the league. But Devin Booker and me would be, would be number two. And I, I get so much joy out of watching Devin Booker just carve up um, defenses from that in-between range. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Durant. And the, I, I would, I was open to, if you had a case for either of DeRozan or Booker, and by the way, that is where the discussion ends. I think is those three guys, uh, you know, I think what does it for me is, so you said Durant, he's at 55% on about seven mid rangers a game, DeRozan, right under 50% on almost 10 mid rangers a game. So volume, I mean, that matters if you're hitting a decent percentage bookers at 47% on a 6.4. So he shoots the fewest, generally speaking, the thing that just tips it to KD is if you're just using NBA.com's zone filters, there's also non-restricted area paint shots and Durant shoots 61.5% on those shots. So just the shorter mid rangers, which is insane. Um, and he takes almost five of those a game, which is more than either of the other two. And like DeRozan, for example, is under 40% on those shots. Booker's just under 50%. So Durant's like 10 plus percent clear on the most volume on the, they're still mid rangers kind of, they're kind of little flips and floaters, but, um, that I I'm counting that as kind of a mid range thing. Cause like DeRozan gets to those, like those are shots he likes to get to too. But I agree that Booker, there's something of like DeRozan's the real technician because he just, you know, his his footwork is incredible and he gets his back to the basket and he can turn either shoulder, all that stuff. It's kind of more impressive than Durant in a way because Durant just can rise up and no one can contest it. But Booker, even as they were getting smoked by the Mavs last night and Booker was like <laughs> the only guy that the whole Mavericks team was guarding, he still just has, uh, I don't know how you... Wh- you have to qualify it because you cannot quantify it. He just has the ability to size up a defender from a dead stop and get to a spot like with maximum efficiency. And it's just like attacking the lead foot. It's it's waiting for the guy to turn his head to look for a screen. He's just like, he's really just has maximum focus at all times. And that's part of the reason that, you know, because he doesn't rise up really high or anything like that. And he's just pretty looking though. He, he might have beautiful. the prettiest looking jump shot in the league. I'm trying to think of DeRozan might be there too. But he just, I, you know, he, he just has a true, it's not a knack because I feel like it's a honed skill because he's so technically sound and such an opportunist and just exploits every. So like if Booker's your favorite mid-range shooter, like more power to you. But Durant, the percentages are just like, we can't, we can't argue. So that's, that's a pretty hot take. That's a good point on, but yeah, it is a, just because Kevin Durant exists. Uh, yeah. It's probably too hot, but I think it's Devin Booker. So good. It's you made a good point on him though. He has like this zero step speed Yeah, where it's because maybe it's because you like DeMar DeRozan. I don't want to call them more of a slog when he's getting there because there's like a smoothness and a fluidity. Mm-hmm. There's more of an unpredictability of what Devin Booker can do because he doesn't need the head of steam. Like he can just right. be at a standstill and get going that way. And also, I don't know if this is, I don't know if you have a player who you think is the prettiest looking jump shot. I'm wondering like how much is this season? Am I just like 
traumatized from watching like campaign shooting in the corner where it's like his arm is like reaching into the stands before it like finishes his motion. But I think he is just one of the, when you look at freeze frames, like he has one of the prettiest looking jump shots in the NBA. I mean, for me, I think clay still is just like, it's a technically perfect shot. There's like no wasted energy anywhere. The one of my favorite things is he had a couple clay was the only guy that played well for the Warriors last night. Um, when he catches it high, like when he catches it at head level or above and doesn't dip it and it's just a wrist flick, that's like kind of some of my favorite shots. And not a lot of guys do that with the high catch and just no dip and the balls out of your hands. Um, I mean, Steph, I really, you know, Anthony Simons shoots a really pretty ball. It's a little different. Uh, even Donovan Mitchell, I think Donovan Mitchell, the ball comes out real feathery. Um, and it's like effortless elevation. I think that's, I wish we focused more on some of the aesthetics sometimes, because that's really like what jumps out. I think a lot, you know, aside from the stats and who's good and who's not just like the pure, you know, form of some guy's shots. I think, you know, that's kind of one of my low key favorite things to look at. Let's get to this one from it's Allen. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this hot or not the Hawks. Excuse me. The Hawks and Grizzlies are quickly becoming the Dame slash CJ blazers of this era meaning they all could have great regular season records, but in the playoffs, they lack the top-end talent to win a title. Younger teams such as the Pelicans and Cavs have already passed them up with higher upside in this regard and will continue to widen the gap as time goes on. So this is a little too hot for me, specifically with respect to the Grizzlies. I I think it might not be that hot of a take for the Hawks, Um, but just to focus on the Grizzlies, I think... The issue I'm having is that I think Jaw right now is is pretty close to as good as Lillard has ever been, and I think a lot of and if you look at just like you know their age 24 seasons or because Lillard came into the league two years later, or if you look at their second season or you know their similar age or similar experience seasons, Jaw is basically better than Dame by most advanced metrics, you know, however you slice it, um, and you know Dame has had great years, but. I don't know what you think about this. I feel like, I feel like Dame kind of topped out as like, maybe he's the eighth best player in the league or seventh or something like that. And I feel like Morant is, that's kind of where he's living right now. You know, he's a top 10 consideration. He's a fringe MVP guy last year. I think he's there this year, although he's cooled a little bit. So you have that, but you also have, I think like Bain, for example, is just a much more sensible fit alongside him than McCollum ever was for Lillard because the skill set was so duplicative. Mm-hmm. And the other factor is the Grizzlies have defenders. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. is a type of player that those Lillard teams just never ever had. And they have wings and they, you know, Dylan Brooks, one of my least favorite players to watch play, um, is still the guy that you can throw at a big wing. And even Bain is a much more capable guy defensively. So I think the Grizzlies are just are honestly more well-rounded and more complete and fit better than any of those Blazers teams really ever were. And I also think jaw is probably about as good as Lillard ever was right now. So I, I could, I take the point on the, on the Hawks, not too hot there. Um, but man, like the Grizzlies, like think of it this way, the best differential any of the Blazers teams had during the Dame era is like plus 4.6 and the Grizzlies were plus 6.2 last year and, you know, reached a conference semifinals and were competitive. And yeah, I'm just Trey and the Hawks feel combustible. That Eastern conference finals run felt kind of phony now. Um, But yeah, so yes for the Hawks or not too hot for the Hawks, but a little hot on the Grizzlies, I think. 
I would echo most of that. I think you're probably underselling Dame's peak and the fact that the Blazers just like they wouldn't look. The Grizzlies did something the Blazers never did under Neil O'Shea, and that was spend on a backup point guard with Ty Jones. <laughs> and so I think their depth has helped that out a ton. I don't know how to frame that around the Hawks because like we're in year one of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, and there's probably been some organizational failures here. I don't think. You know, would you view Trey Young as that guy who's going to top out like Lillard did is no more than just in it. And it's, you know, not a singular season span, but and maybe we're underselling Dame's peak. I think he was consistently in the top 10 discussion, mm-hmm. but it was never just like his Dame, a top five player. Uh, Trey is never really he's been like mentioned like in cursory discussions about the MVP. We're also still just so early into these guys careers. I'm, I'm curious how much it matters. I would say, though, it's not it's not too hot for the Hawks, I guess, but like are the Hawks supposed to be on that level? I know DeJounte Murray has been good for them and Trey has struggled a lot this year. And there's the, the maybe there's drama with him and Nate McMillan. We're not sure. They both like sort of deny it, but I, I like, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to, I say it's not too hot for the Hawks. I just don't know that it applies to the Hawks is my point. If you want to look at their best players, only going to lead them to really good regular seasons. I think maybe that could be fair, but like we we've seen Trey light it up in the playoffs. We saw Dame light it up. Like he's one entire series, right? By the way, but I would say, my strongest take is that, that it's way too early for the Grizzlies on that. I do think that they, I don't know if it's a matter of consolidation, but like they need, they probably, maybe it is Desmond Bain, but like they, they need like a, another, they, they might, I mean, Desmond Bain is just so good. So they might have it in Desmond Bain, but they're deeper. And I think that matters a ton too. I still think Jaron Jackson Jr.'s offense can be uneven. And it feels like they do need that wing still. Uh, maybe that's Zaire Williams. Maybe it's not. Um, he has yet to play this season. So, but it's it's definitely way too hot for the Grizz. Yeah, I think just to, one last thing to add to that is the similarity between some of those or most of those Blazers teams and like say, I mean, it's kind of unfair because again, the sample's so small in terms of how many seasons we have to look at, but their comparison with the Hawks also kind of aligns with these are one-way operations. Like the best version of the Hawks are like a top three offense and a just, you know, bottom five defense. That kind of, that's really the Blazers' blueprint for like most of the last 10 years. It's not the, the Hawks' are, blueprint this year, though. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, well, what are they? I don't know. But the Grizzlies are not that team. The Grizzlies are, are just going to be a very good defense indefinitely, I think. So that's, that's the other thing that kind of sets them apart to me. Uh, this is from Unbiased Pistons fan, hot or not. Michael Porter Jr. would go, I love this one, <laughs> would go unprotected and unselected in an expansion draft. We're talking expansion drafts now. Uh, the contract plus health would be something Denver may want to redo on, and other teams wouldn't be willing to start a franchise off with all this uncertainty and all the money that it costs for that uncertainty. That's not too hot. I, we got killed. I posted a clip of the Bruce Brown versus Michael Porter Jr. discussion we had. There were a lot of people in Discord who agreed with us, and there are people on YouTube who said Bruce Brown, no-brainer. But we got killed for our take since then because Bruce Brown hasn't played well yeah. uh, since we recorded that. But the contract and the back issues and like the 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 inconsistent defense where it's, he could be a defensive playmaker and people point out, oh, well, the Nuggets defense is better with him on the floor. And it's like, all right, well, look at what they're surrounding him with where it's probably two of Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, and KCP at all times. Like that's And Jamal Murray's always been maybe not so much this season, a little bit more underrated defensively. So they've put him in positions to succeed. And then when you pulled him out of those positions, it hasn't looked that great. And there's also the air of, well, what would he be on offense without Jokic and Jamal Murray, or even one of those guys there, or that he's played without Jamal Murray, at least partly, but without Jokic there, like, can he handle more self-creation? Can he set up 
teammates. And so you're looking at someone who is paid like a max player and he is only in year one of that five-year extension. So he has four years left, the final of which is non-guaranteed, um, but it's still a pretty sizable guarantee. It's 12 million right off the bat of 40.8. So, I mean, it's like 25%, a little bit less, 20%, whatever it is. I would, would he be eligible in an expansion draft is actually might be the hotter take because I think yeah. the expectation would be he goes unselected. So why would we risk bad optics or bad juju behind the scenes with him? That might be the spicier take that the nuggets would actually put him up in the expansion. Cause you are allowed to protect enough players to where if you don't protect Michael Porter jr, it's glaringly obvious that you just wouldn't value him. Yeah, I think, to me, really, what the question's really asking is, is is he a negative value player on his contract, right? Because it, it, what what it presupposes is you're giving him, you're you're offering to give him away uh, and no one will take it, which is like not just negative value. It's negative, you know, negative value to 29, all 29 teams, theoretically, because the expansion, you know, team is picking from the bottom of the barrel. Um, that's, a, that's a little unfair, but so I think it's a little too hot. Uh, but like it, it just so the talent is there. This is kind of just rehashing the Bruce Brown comparison, but like he's the guy's 24 and he's shot 42% from three on good volume. And it's all just health because it's like, theoretically, let's say you're the, you, we resuscitate the Bobcats or some team like that. And, and you're saying they're, they will not take him even with just the, whatever the percentage chance is, that he plays really well and you can trade him for something. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I would, if I'm an expansion team, I'm going to take him money and health issues and all just because that's not the type of player that's usually available in that situation. Uh, that because of the upside, usually you're just getting retreads and, and guys that, that don't have that level of potential. So I, I think it's a little too hot, but like point taken, there there is a real discussion to be had of, of whether he's just a straight up negative value asset. What if there is an amnesty, would you use it on him? He's high on the list, right? Like I don't know who there's not a lot of other guys. I, I think I think if after this season we just were, you know, having health questions again or you know, he didn't put up big numbers and didn't factor in the playoffs, then I would probably think about it. That that's a man, such a tough one. This is also kind of a tough one. Uh, Rome 8180, hot or not, Donovan Mitchell doesn't make the Cavs significantly better than what they would have been with internal development anyway. It's not that he's not a very good player, it's just that what they really needed to become a title team is a two way wing. That's the reason the Cavs are 7.3 points better with him off the court, and it's not just random statistical noise. Or to phrase it another way, hot or not, the Cavs should have waited for a more ideal trade than the Donovan Mitchell acquisition. So I think a lot of, there's a lot of good points here that I that I don't disagree with um, because we've talked before several times uh, about how yeah it is the two you, it is the three you know that that wing spot you need someone who can guard you need someone who can make catch and shoot threes like that's that is to me the clearer need or at least it seems that way um, this also kind of presupposes that like that type of player is easy to get or would have become available or that they could have traded for that guy I don't know if that's true necessarily. Um, so then this is the point you make a lot too. I, I don't, I, so this is too hot for me. I, I'll circle back to that because I think you need, 
multiple guys, if you're going to do anything serious in the playoffs, that can find you a shot, mm -hmm. find themselves or find a teammate a shot. And Darius Garland can do that. Donovan Mitchell can do that. But that's kind of it. Unless, unless and until Evan Mobley develops that skill set, uh, which is asking a lot because in theory, this guy's going to anchor your defense also. And mm -hmm. just there's a lot on his plate. So I think the second or, you know, the 1A, 1B thing with him and Garland is kind of a necessary component of whatever the optimal version of this Cavs team is. But it, it is it is true that like you got, we talked about the Lillard McCollum Blazers like that was a comparison a lot of people made when the Cavs made this trade is now you got two small guards that are mostly defined by offense and that kind of tilts the the sort of I don't know the strength and weakness things of your team pretty far in a certain direction and so fortunately and this is what we also said at the time you have Evan Mobley and he's like your get out of jail free card because he can just plug all the holes if he develops as people think. So it's a little too hot. And some of that statistical stuff is noise because I'm pretty sure that differential is down to minus 2.9 now from 7.3. And it has not been that long since this question was asked. So it's too hot. Uh, but there's also a lot of sense in it in that, you know, Mitchell is not the, the best possible guy to have gotten. I do think he's the best possible guy that they actually realistically could have gotten or could expect to get. Um, if they weren't going to just go with internal development. Yeah. And it's, I, it's too hot for me. I would say it's fair because if you thought that wing player was going to become available via trade and that you could acquire him, then yeah, you would wait, but like there's danger in waiting when you think that you could be this good already. And I would also, the only thing I would just add to what you said, and you kind of touched upon it is it's not just that his on off differential has gotten even better. It's that it's bad for all of, the, the top four guys right now. The Cavs are better yeah. with all four of them not on the court. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, the stop and start nature of their season where Darius Garland missed time. Then it's Jared Allen's missing time. And you've been, you know, now Dean Wade is missing time. Yeah. And also like you were, there's a game where they started Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. And you were going through, cycling through different options at the three. Um, you tried out Karis LeVert there. That wasn't a lineup that made a, a ton of, it didn't make a ton of when you were going from a talent perspective, it was okay. Karis uh, LeVert's your best player, but like it always kind of just never made sense um, as a fit. And I think that coupled with, okay, well then these guys are all still new to each other. I think we'll see this even out um, over time. And the fact that you've been able to win like sort of the one guard minutes, that's exactly why you trade for Donovan Mitchell. Right. Is because even if it's only Darius Garland carving up in the one guard minutes, you're still ensuring that you can have those minutes where or you can just basically delete all the minutes in which you don't have a star guard on the court and so that i still would have made the deal and i think because you have donovan mitchell you don't need the superstar three it's almost easier to plug this hole at the three than it would have been if you said well we need a star wing you don't need that anymore you just need someone who would be nice if they could they could shoot but i think what you need more than anything is point of attack defense from that wing spot and yeah. that's while that's still hard to fill in the wing spot, it's a lot easier to fill than saying we need to go trade for Jalen Brown right now or some, you know, someone along those lines. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Like the fungible, you know, I need a guy that's going to shoot 37% from three and be like a plus defender at, at, at a wing spot. Like, you know, that's that's way below, you know, the best wing there is, which is like, you know, Jason Tatum or something like that. That's a totally different category. But like the the fungible version of Donovan Mitchell or like the scoring combo guard is like way worse. And you're just talking six man, basically, you know, at that point. So 
they they did the hard thing. You know, they did the big thing first. They're working big to small. They got a star, like the Daryl Morey approach to roster building. Just get the star and you can go find the guy that's going to make, you know, a couple threes a game and guard. Like that's, that that's. And you found someone who's okay working off the ball so that you can test out stuff with Mobley. And I just don't know when you watch the final, like the, the closing kick of this team last year, they needed literally everything Donovan Mitchell brings. And it's, I'll just throw out a name here, but like how much better, do you feel about this team's playoff chance of just Josh Richardson's on the roster right now? Um, <laughs> like, honestly, like if they made yeah, no, a Richardson trade. It fills a need for sure. And that's yeah. the other thing is like, there's a lot of, I mean, you could do better than that in theory. Like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of Josh Richardson types and, you know, better versions of They just that. don't have like the assets. Like, I don't that's the, to think you, that would that's the, the argument is you getting the guy that you know working big to small means you spent big and so your assets are kind of depleted to go do that and no one's like being tricked into thinking isaac okoro is oh look at this like pleasant mystery box project now like right. okay yeah. that, that ship is kind of sailed yeah we're the jury is the jury is in on, on that. <laughs> um, we've been doing a lot of backcourt talk so i think this this is a good one too i, I i'm curious what you think about this because i i really kind of struggled um this is from glad uh the clay thompson and steph backcourt is not a top five backcourt anymore. Wow. We should have skipped this. Like I, we should have had me throw this at you. I think when you're doing these things, if like, let's say Luca, let's use Luca Doncic as an example. If you're considering him a point guard, like how much does the one player uplift the best backcourt? And I think that Steph, who is one of the top three MVP candidates in the league right now, one of the three best players in the league right now, he almost guarantees you top five entry. But when you do start to go through the list of the dual pairings, where now you have, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. Maybe Trey uh, maybe Trey Murray. Maybe Trey Young hasn't played well enough to ensure that's a conversation. But you have, we just talked about Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. They have to be up there. Like, I guess the names that stand out of like is Tyrese Maxey and James Harden. There's Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard. There's Devin Booker and Chris Paul, but Chris Paul hasn't been healthy. There's to me, I think right now, too much is up in the air to say that they wouldn't be a top five backcourt on the basis of Steph. I think I would still have them there. Like if you were, if you're going for more of a balance, like you don't want that imbalance between star and then like the, the first, the best player in the backcourt and the second best player, there's a gap there, but that's also, that would always exist because Steph is just like this mega human John Morant, Desmond Bain. Like that's certainly a, you know, the D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, they're not in that discussion this year. So I think there's, I, I think they still are. You can make cases on paper for other entries, but I think the only ones that you look at this season and say, well, they might have a case just because the balance would be Cleveland. I think Memphis with John Morant and Desmond Bain. And is that like, I mean, Maxie and Harden have both missed so much time and Harden didn't look great in his return. So I'm just like, who is the, like, who's, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing glaring ones here. You, you no, know, that, so you're not a baseball guy, right? Like, no, no. So there, the, so the Bill James, you know, the kind of the godfather of like <clears throat> the sabermetric movement in some regards had this big abstract book and, and there was like, he poses questions in it. And one of them was like, what's the, what baseball family or what baseball brothers would you want? And, you know, well, Joe DiMaggio and Dom DiMaggio would be a good one or like, you know, the Canseco brothers or, or whatever. And he's like, I would take the Ruth family. Cause you get Babe Ruth and who cares who the other guy is basically like, so it's, it's the same argument. I, we, we've thought about this exactly the same way. It's like, if I'm getting Steph, give me like whatever else. I mean, and clay is more than whatever else. I mean, I think it's total. We talked about this last week. It's totally fair to say that like, this guy is nowhere near the defender. He was 
he has a lot more nights where he looks real bad, which is just what happens when you age and have injuries, but he's still at 39% on 10 three-point attempts a game. Mm. So like, that's not nothing. I don't know how, like, and in a playoff context, maybe that is on par with the value of someone like Bain or, or Simons or something like that. It's not that far off. And Steph just makes the difference because you want the guy that, you know, is if you're trying to win a championship, like, this gets even easier because I don't know about almost any of these other guys, you know, other than like do holiday and Middleton count? Like, I don't know. And how good is that? If they're independent of Giannis, those are, those are second and third options. Now like Steph is a one, you know, with five stars after it. Like, so yeah, I, I'm, I think that's a little too hot. Um, but the point, the point's fair. Like if you want balance, then yeah, I guess that's a different question, but if you just want to have the best backcourt, like you're not going to get me off of having Steph in at the top five. Like that's, that's not that tough for me. It's, it's still not tough. It's less of a sure thing than it was. And Steph is doing way more of the heavy lifting. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like an 80, 20 situation. If, if that, you know, we have two that are related. So I'll shoot, um, I'll sandwich them together for the Lakers. Uh, Christopher hot or not. LeBron James is no longer a top 10 player and LA needs to realize this. And then an unbiased Pistons fan in a separate discussion in Discord, in case you're wondering whether I participate in Discord or moderate, it's trade LeBron and build around a deal clock. <laughs> uh, so the the first part, uh, LeBron James is no longer a top 10 player and LA needs to realize this. That's not hot. I mean, that's 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 factual, I think. And I also think the second part is probably true. I feel like the Lakers know that. Um, and I think even internally and, and James and, and others, I feel like have alluded over the course of this partnership that, yeah, like the idea here is that as LeBron sort of sunsets, AD becomes a top five player and he's the guy that carries us, you know, in the post LeBron era or, you know, the end of the LeBron era into the post LeBron era. That looks like a real, like, you know, prescient approach now as AD is like just rocketing up the MVP, you know, conversation uh, frequency. Um, but I think it's trade LeBron and build around AD o'clock. They're not, that's too hot. Cause they're not going to trade LeBron. It's like a non-starter. Um, he can't so, be traded until this summer. Yeah. If he asks to be traded, it's, that's always been the case, right? If he asks, then you do it. And that's the only scenario I can imagine. I just wonder, like, I don't even, I can't wrap my head around what the desired return package would be or the offers would be for LeBron. Just well, because you trade him to Charlotte for all the picks because they want the gate revenue. That's what happened. Trade him to the Pelicans for all those picks back and, and Dyson Daniels. Um, no, the Pelicans are smarter than to do that. So, that's so, uh, so I got crushed. Well, in the, insofar as I ever look at comments, but there was probably a few weeks ago before this AD explosion and the Lakers were like two and 10 or whatever they were. And I was, I didn't think it was ridiculous to consider trading Davis because if you're trying to have like a functioning next five years, like that's the only way you get there because he's the only guy you're going to get anything for that's out the window now. So I think, I think that's probably too hot to start talking about trading AD because he does look like a top five ish guy all of a sudden again. Um, It's been against shitty teams mostly like they got the Spurs three times in this crazy run. So we'll, I think the schedule toughens up. So we'll really see if this AD thing is, oh, wow, we could just put some average guys around him and suddenly we're real serious. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're never trading LeBron. And I think uh, trading AD like that, that ship sailed, I think probably in the Lakers' minds. 
And also, I wouldn't trust, you mentioned this, the sample size is so small. And he was a great number two guy and even risky in that role. If I'm trading LeBron, I'm also trading Anthony Davis. Like, I'm starting the whole thing over. I can't rebuild my team. That was the eventual goal, but I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that now because of his injury history. And I do think what we're seeing from him now, more unsustainable jump shooting and him shooting what would be, like, by far and away a career high on unassisted field goal attempts. If he does this for the rest of the season, then maybe it's a discussion we have over the summer. But I think it's LeBron not being a top 10 player, not too hot at all. Like, like you said, maybe in, you know, if he like turns like in a playoffs, could he be like the, could he be a top 10 guy for any given stretch? For sure. I think he could still, but over the course of an entire season, probably not, which is like kind of sad to think about, but it was always inevitable. The AD rebuild around AD is too hot for me. Unless he, again, we're still talking this way in April that like AD's just been healthy and this is how he's playing. Yeah. So, uh, more guard stuff, um, which this is interesting. I'm glad you get this first. Cause I like, I struggled with it. Um, this is from Strops. uh, three of the five best players coming out of the 2022 draft class. So this most recent class going forward will be shooting guards. And I pose my own question to you, Dan, what even is a shooting guard anymore? Right. I don't, that's, that's why I struggled with this one. I don't yeah. know. I think it's when I think of a shooting guard, I think it's of someone that you can't play at the one or up at the three, like a pure, a pure, like it's a one position player where a lot of people consider John Collins, just a four yeah. um, or Davis Bertans is just a four. Like you can't play Davis Bertans at center and hope to get away with that. You're certainly not going to play him at the three and two guards. It's been increasingly hard to find like someone who is just a two guard. So is, I, is Beal, is Brad Beal like the the quintessential shooting guard? Is that That's the first guy that comes to mind for me. Yeah, that's a, it might be him. Because Zach Levine, you can get away with at the three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it might, it might be a Bradley Beal. And so I'm, Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald's a two. Buddy right? Heald's a two. Uh, now Kevin Herter could be a three, and Sacramento's used him as a three at times. I'm trying to think of uh, Evan Fournier. Yeah, it's a good one. Like that sort of ilk. So, but regardless, so the, Three of the five best players would be shooting guards in this. So we're talking about who? We're talking about uh, Benedict Matherin, who I don't think is. Do you consider him just like, oh, he can only play shooting guard? Oh, it's so early. I don't know yet. I mean, the way he attacks the basket, like he does some. It's it's well also really wrapped into the question of position is like, who do you guard? That It's more like, who can you defend? And I don't know. Like I know nothing. I'll, I'll confess. I don't know anything about Matherin's defense. I think he has the tools because he's athletic and he seems he's smart offensively. Like he has a lot of, he's got real craft, but I don't know what that means defensively. So, I mean, maybe I, I would think of him first as a shooting guard, you know, don't you think like he's got to yeah. be a two. My whole thing is just like, who are the, so like, who are the, the twos, the straight twos we're talking about. So I'm assuming it's, it's him. Would Shaden Sharp fall under that? He he feels kind of three-ish to me. He's like a wing, right. I think. Right. And then AJ Griffin. He's kind of big too. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm just trying, I'm trying to like yeah. I, I this is just too hot because I can't figure out right. what positions we're talking about without the names. There's because Keegan Murray's not a two. Uh Dyson Daniels is definitely like that's not someone you would consider a two. And I, we have not seen enough of uh Johnny Davis to say like, Oh, he needs to be in this discussion. It's I'm just, I think it's Matherin. And I would assume maybe I'm wrong, but like, I'm assuming that 
Sharp has actually looped into this because I don't know who would be the like even just looking at like non point guards guards like who would be the top three in this. Yeah, if that makes I any think... sense. Because like you know, Jay Ivy is a one, so you're gonna have Jay Ivy there. But like if we're trying to find non point guards who would be at the top end of this draft outcome, because it's not Tari Eason, like it's he's just too big. Jalen Williams, Sharp, Benedict Matherin. Oh, Jalen Williams. That's a good, good Jalen Williams, but he's kind of too, he's kind of, I would just call him a wing. Maybe the, maybe really, if you frame it around, like instead of shooting guard wings, then I could get on board. Although I think Holmgren, who we've totally forgotten about as if we're projecting going forward, probably is you should, you'd hope that he's going to be one of the five best players in this class. I don't know. You have Bancaro. Keegan Murray is, is a three, four. So you're really talking Matherin, Ivy and Sharp. I think probably in that case, maybe, I don't know. Matter or not. Yeah. I mean, I guess that if you want to frame it that way, it wouldn't be too hot, but uh, I think this just reiterates that Matherin's kind of ridiculous though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go to this. Next one is from, where are we here? Uh, oh, okay. Rome 8180 hot or not. The Hornets are the NBA's most depressing franchise. Not hot, not hot. Because you just like, well, what are your other candidates? And you run down Knicks, the list. That's of, it. Like, I think it's the Knicks and the Hornets at this point, right? Well, but the Knicks, at least like the Knicks are better than the Hornets. So that's start there. That's less depressing. Than Knicks have anyone on their roster who is as good or going to be as good as LaMelo Ball? No, no. That's depressing as shit. Because well, like, is, it just- more de- is it more depressing, though, if you're the Hornets and you've you just are counting the days till he signs his extension, which he will. And then the second he's allowed to, he's eligible. He'll just be like, get me out of here. Like that's, that's cause it's like the sort of the, I, I think probably the Knicks are more dysfunctional. Um, but I mean, the Hornets just, there's just nothing there. There's nothing there other than ball. And, and if you only care about the one piece, that's cool. But I think that one piece is probably a short timer unless something drastically changes. Uh, I mean, it's like you look at the worst teams, it's like the the Rockets, you know, have Green and KPJ and Smith and Sangoon. They're and, still, they're more depressing than they should be. Though, based they, off they are, well, they're just a mess. Like they, I watched a lot of them against the Sixers last night, which and they won, um, but they play really hard. They're just super disorganized on offense, which is what happens when KPJ and Green are handling the ball most of the time but like they're exciting and they get a ton of offensive rebounds and they draw a ton of fouls. Like they're, they're tr- the Spurs, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Wembenyama when he gets there, like that's, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Pistons have a bunch of young talent. The Thunder have a bunch of young talent. Brooklyn's kind of depressing just because Brooklyn's, it's like, well, yeah, Brooklyn's like, I don't know what the word would be for, but to me, it's the Hornets. That's not too hot. Do you, I mean, I know I think that the Knicks, I think hurt, the Hornets the Knicks hurt you personally more, so this is harder for you to answer. But. Right. I was going to say, I think there's a case to be made for the Knicks because they're just so aimless. But like, there's, if you put other people in charge of the organization, you could see the construct that they have now, even if it's not torn down, like you could see it being used more sensibly. Mm-hmm. And they do have all those extra draft picks to go trade for a star if they actually want to, even though they clearly didn't with the Donovan Mitchell stuff. So it is the Hornets. The Kings are not involved in this anymore and so i do think the knicks would have to be too i don't i don't have a, i think it's and after that it's like there's not a lot of franchises that depress me i'm so i'm high on a lot of their futures like the lakers aren't like mega depressing if you have anthony davis there the timberwolves like the vibes 
I mean, even as D'Angelo Russell's played a little bit better, like the vibes coming out there are depressing. But when you're looking at the actual just directions, um, you know, the Mavericks would have a case if Luka Doncic didn't exist, but that's a pretty big caveat. Yeah. I think there are teams that have like, <laughs> should we, we should create a, an advanced metric, like depression potential, like which the Mavericks might lead in. The Lakers have some of that. Basically any team that it's, there's sort of like a self-sabotaging a themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> There's there's a cliff looming and like they could go over it if a couple things. <laughs> but uh, present present depression levels, I think probably Charlotte's got the got the uh, inside track on that one. Is this me or you? This next I one? I don't know. I'll ask you. Uh, this is from Glad. Uh, hot or not, Dejounte Dejounte Murray should be the point guard that Atlanta builds around. Uh, talk around the league says Trey isn't a leader, and again we've got this kind of hazy reports i don't feel like i really know what happened with him and mcmillan in the missed game the other day um but that's a miscommunication great. that's all it was a private yeah. matter of the miscommunication yeah trey miscommunicated with lloyd pierce a lot too and then we saw how that and um players don't seem to want to play with him this is this is glad editorializing not me and he is selfishly unselfish not unfair uh <laughs> not necessarily looking to trade trey away but if an offer comes it's reasonable atlanta should consider it or look to trade him for another superstar, superstar cough, KD cough. I just want to say before you answer this, that I'm really mad at glad because this was basically the hot or not. I was going to throw to you, which was going to be framed around. Like it's not crazy for Atlanta to consider moving young and just kind of seeing, seeing, you know, seeing what might be out there, but just to, to avoid the luxury tax, because that's what the John Collins conversation has become. Uh, Uh, this is too hot. I DeJounte Murray's been better. I do think Trey is the young that's had to make more is the guy who's had to make more adjustments. Now, is it fair to question his leadership and whether guys want to play with him? Is this style look? He's and he has not been nearly as heliocentric this year as in previous years. But like, does the style of a James Harden of a Luka Doncic, does that grade on the players around him? But then how much of that is on the players and not like let's put in a coaching staff and infrastructure in place who could deviate and again i don't necessarily think trey young's play style has been the problem this year i think it's more so been he's just not nearly as efficient as he normally is and so does this suggest that he is like more of the awkward it's harder for him to fit into a larger ecosystem i still think let's give it more time with bogdanovich back this team really needs to open up the spacing in general i don't think it helps that like you had like you just you sort of became not redundant but you overlapped a lot like too many of the same things with this roster where it's okay we have DeJounte Murray and Trey Young which is fine but we also have John Collins and Clint Capella and only one of those guys could be used as a screener and John Collins isn't going to get any real extra touches because now we have DeJounte Murray and Trey Young so I think that this is a situation that would benefit more from shakeups on the margins I'm not even talking about just it feels inevitable that Nate McMillan will be fired but I'm not even talking about the coach. I'm just saying there needs to be a personnel shift here. And Bogdanovich's absence, I do believe, really was part of that. So let's give it some time there. But this is way too... Trey Young is just like... he He's an all-NBA player. And so it's... T- he... And there's a better chance he makes more all-NBA teams, like another all-NBA team moving forward than it is that you get that from DeJounte Murray. Yeah. And so if... And if... Like, you might maybe need to flesh out your roster and the image of Murray more because he gives you especially if he's not getting to the basket as much, like there's a little bit more limitations on his game, but I can't diagnose what's wrong with Atlanta's offense. Other than like, I think that there's not enough that the the confines in which they work inside the half court 
they just feel unnecessarily clumpy at points. I think if Trey is just making more shots or like hitting him at career levels, like how different is the conversation? You know, if the ball's going in, like then I think things are a lot different. I think so. This is, I agree. This is too hot, but it's only too hot because we don't, we don't really, we have like suspicions and you were, you're seeing some illusions and from like Sam Amick and, and I think it was Jeff Schultz like kind of dragged young a little bit. Um, and it seems like a lot of the media that has had like interactions with young kind of whenever a story like this comes out where it is kind of un, it's uncertain between player and coach. And there was some kind of disagreement or miscommunication Sometimes when the media kind of goes to bat for the reporters that are asking the tough questions of young and sort of indirectly are, you know, kind of a like, yeah, we all kind of know, right. The ones that know, know, if you know, you know, like Trey young might not be the best guy to be a leader or be around. I don't know that. And that's why I can't, this is too hot. But if that is in fact true, then yeah, maybe you don't build around him, but like just in terms of on the court, like Murray's a really good player, but he's not a build around guy. Young is like, you know, a hand, one of what, five guys. That's like, if he's playing well, your offense is top five. Like that's right. just, that's a, that is a build around player. And and you've got to do some finagling to really build well around him because he's small and doesn't defend and dominates the ball. But like, that's, that's doable. Um, but if it's like a non-starter personality wise and you just, everybody's sick of him and, and you can't, nobody wants to play for him. If all that is true, which we don't know, then it's a conversation, but it's, it's too hot as it is. Cause just comparing players, it's like, it, they're just totally different types of players, Murray and young. Yeah. I think I need more evidence before I just go that route though. Yeah, right. Me too. Uh, can I throw this one at you was the one I came up with based off things I've seen. Hot or not, John Collins is now a salary dump. And the inspiration for this, this is not my actual take. This is just, I've seen the structure basically of deals that send him to Utah are Jordan Clarkson and Kelly Olenek in a second round pick. Uh, I was listening to uh, Dunk Don was talking about, they backed off this. I want to make that clear. Like they had said, would Duncan Robinson and uh, a first round pick get you John Collins? And so John Collins is three years after this one and about $78 million left on his deal. Injured right now, usage has fallen off a cliff. Touches have fallen off a cliff. Is he more? Is John like is is dumping like is trading John Collins a salary dump move? Like, what can you expect realistically to get for John Collins? It, it's hard because I'm almost certain that he will be more valuable to whatever team acquires him than he is to the Hawks, just because of all the positional overlap you talked about. And but. That, that doesn't really matter as far as what the offers are going to be because like team X doesn't give a shit that, you know, they know that they're not going to like, well, to be fair, since we know Collins isn't helping you that much, we're going to like give you a, we won't ask for, you know, a lot of pick incentive or what. I just don't view Collins as a negative contract. I think he's a tough fit on the Hawks. So I can't, it's a little too hot. Like I can't call him a salary dump, but the fact that they haven't moved him, um, suggests that like the offers are not good and and or he, are he requiring a lot of value around the draft. Yeah, when he was readily available and they still didn't move him. I, I would yeah, call. I it, don't know. That, it's a little too hot. But like the longer this goes on, it may just be a fact that there are no you know net neutral 
exchanges possible or even because like you think of what he's been when he's been good like we're not again you don't want to weight anything from that eastern conference finals run too heavily but he was a good defensive player and scored efficiently and played really hard like he's been fine defensively this year too yeah so the narrative that he's just like a four that can't guard anything is kind of that's done a little bit i think that was fair early in his career but I just, I can't get there yet. Um, but the market's going to say what it says. And, and it may be talking a little bit right now. I think it's mega too hot because I actually think because John Collins' skill set is so, and I get made fun of for saying this, it's so scalable. It's on the Hawks that they failed to like yeah. make it work. Where it's like, he's just been so marginalized that someone who is mostly plug and play on offense. Yeah, he could shoot the ball better this season. That's been a thing that's plaguing the entire roster. But like, you've just beaten down his role to a point where like he's your like it's not your fourth option in the conventional sense because Clint Capel is not a number three but based off who's going to set a majority of the ball screens and oh look Onyeko Kongu is still on this roster and oh now Bogdan Magdanovich is back so it's not like they I think they could have gotten more creative with second units and how they used him before Bogdanovich returned um to give Collins more of a a central role I just would you give up and and I'll, I'll phrase it this way. To me, if they dump him, that's an issue they created for themselves, not just with how they used him, but because they're being too fucking cheap because they gave DeJean, DeAndre Hunter an extension. They extended Clint Capella. Trey Young's on his massive deal. They are thinking about DeJounte Murray's next deal. You have to when you gave up as much as you did to get him. So I understand the realities of that. But if he becomes a salary dump to where you can't get him like actual value, you keep him. Because yeah. he is way more valuable than a salary dump. And if you're salary dumping him, hey, guess what? You're not getting cap space and you're not getting the player that you need on this roster to address all your biggest things. So I'm at, like, what'd you do? This is not, you know, like, is like if, if it takes Olenek and Clarkson to get him, I know Clarkson's been good for Utah, but I'm doing that yeah. immediately. Yeah. I think I was just thinking this way. I don't know. This could be a hot or not, like, or maybe it's not a great one, but like, if he's on the Mavericks instead of Christian Wood, they're kind of similar players offensively. There's no chance we're talking about why is John Collins still coming off the bench? Like he's starting. And right. Christian Wood cost a first and like some salary, right? So that's not a dump. You know, the Pistons got the rock. I can't fucking remember where, where Christian Wood used to be. Rockets, Rockets got stuff for him. Um, and Collins, I think, probably. Maybe that's a hot, I don't know if it's a hot take, but John Collins is better than Christian Wood. Is that a hot take? I feel like it shouldn't be. It's, um, not, it's not because he's better defensively. Right. And he's like, playable. I guess you get Christian Wood probably at a cheaper number moving forward. And there might be more, there's definitely more of a floor game, like a diverse offensive package for Christian Wood. Yeah. But I still think John Collins is easier to fit. And like, mm -hmm. he doesn't think like Christian Wood is your four. Like, when you're playing with another big, it's a Maxi Kleba. Mm -hmm. But so it's just like, I would still have John Collins and just like, is this deal really that prohibitive? It's like 20% of the salary cap moving forward. Is it really right. that prohibitive? And he's not like, yeah, no, I, I think we're really going to bat for John Collins here. Well, it turns out. I saw, and there was another theoretical trade package. I talked about this on the previous pod and I don't, but first of all, coming up with hypothetical trades is tough, but, and I don't begrudge. Like if that's the, like the, excuse me, the Olympic Clarkson structure was floated basically by Shams. So it's just like, I don't fault people for thinking this way, but one of the packages I saw was Buddy Heald, Jalen Smith in a second for John Collins. And if that's, first of all, you're not really saving money. Like Buddy Heald comes off the books a couple yeah. of years earlier. 
But like, and you're okay. You're getting Jalen Smith, who's super cheap, the next couple of years. But if that's on the table, and you're Indiana, like, why is that not done already? Like, yeah. hey, we're keeping, we're about to renegotiate and extend Miles Turner, and we're just gonna make a run at this because we have John Collins, Tyrese Halbert, and Benedict Matherin, and superstar Andrew. I'm getting them hard. So it's just like, I'm, I just maybe we're wrong. I want to make that clear. Yeah. I know that there are people who probably watch more Hawks games than us this season, but like dating back to last season, he just feels like he is. And it's verging on criminal, criminally underutilized. That's what it just feels like to me. Yeah, I mean, it's not a thousand years ago that, like I said, we saw him be a really useful player on a team that won multiple playoff rounds. Like, and he's not, you know, he's not thirty-two years old either. It, it, yeah, it's ridiculous. And okay. but I, the thing that I will push back for the two of us on, and you already mentioned it, or we both, whatever, the fact that he wasn't moved in an offseason when he was just projected to be moved, the fact that he wasn't a part of the Jante Murray trade and the Spurs were like, oh, we'll, we'll prioritize picks and expiring mm-hmm. salary. That makes me wonder if we're wrong. I think to be clear, I think clearly we're, I'm very impassioned about this. I think that we're right, but there's enough noise to where it's, oh yeah. Like if he was that valuable on the market, why hasn't he been moved yet? I will still die on the hill of, well, if there isn't a robust market for him, the Hawks have created that tepid market yeah that's fair that's fair let's see are we good or want us want me to take us out or is there any other ones we didn't get to no we hit everything we'll have the mail actual well you did do one of the mailbag questions in the hot or not phrase from rome but that's good but we'll have more we'll have an actual mailbag again um next week but this was this was a fun instructive exercise as always and i enjoyed some of the ones that you came up with and i enjoyed you becoming a new orleans pelicans convert mid podcast Um, it's it's done i can't go back now if they go on like a if they have a bad week I'm going to be real upset. Um, yeah. So everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, these are always fun. Thank you so much for these hot or nots. Uh, they're, like we said last time we did this and with the mailbag stuff, this is always awesome because it keeps us on our toes and we like making content that you guys want to you know, listen to and have discussed. So everybody wins that way. So keep them coming. We'll do these again. Uh, in the meantime, tell all your friends. And if you haven't done it yet, I don't know how you're listening to this, but like, subscribe, comment, do all the things you need to do. Um, follow us on socials. They're on the, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see them on the bottom, right. Um, and thank you for listening. Listen next time. We'll have some more of this stuff for you guys. And, uh, I'll take us out with an apology to Jared Allen. Maybe should have, I already apologized to New Orleans Pelicans and last, but absolutely not least on behalf of Dan, uh, we give a parting shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Uh, Mr. Frank Milikina.